Can doomsday events happen? Yes, and they have happened all throughout history. The wages of sin are death, and sin is the cause of the coronavirus issue that is in the world right now. And it really doesn't matter whether you pin the crisis back to a lab somewhere if you think this was created, or it is the result of someone eating bats because their government is a curse to them. Either way, the wages of sin are death, and the ultimate consequences of such a sinful action is death, and it goes all the way around the world. However, today we're going to be talking about the fact that sometimes within the midst of a real crisis, an even bigger threat can emerge. And we're going to be talking today about the Babylonian exile, where the people of God were carried off to a faraway land, which was Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, and this is one of the most famous doomsday events that have happened in history. And if we honestly look throughout history, we see that there are a lot of times where whole societies have collapsed, wicked things have happened, and people have been carried off to suffer terrible, terrible fates. We can even look throughout the 20th century and see that evil has risen out of all sorts of corners of the globe. Now, it is true that it's difficult to see such events coming, and that's why we should take some time to study the events that led to doomsday events of the past to learn how we should respond to the moment we are in now. So, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, and I thank you for joining me. This is a program of critical thinking and adventure, and today we're going to be critically thinking about the world we're in right now and also taking an adventure to the past to learn something about where we are now. It's always wise and prudent of one to believe that things in the world can change and the lessons from history that God has revealed to us through Scripture, they are very much true and we do well to heed their warning. So let me start with a few ideas. Um, we're going to be talking about the Babylonian exile, and if you're not totally familiar with that, that's okay. I'm going to give an in-depth overview of that once we get there. But before we get to that moment, I want us to take just a few seconds to really hear some thoughts I have about the world we're in right now. Christians have romanticized this idea of being an outcast, and that will tie into the exile conversation we'll have. But we really, as the church, we've looked around and seen that in modern society, television, movies, they're not reflecting Christian values and the church. So therefore, we kind of have romanticized this idea that we are the subculture, that we're in exile. However, we have done so in a way that really isn't very exceptional. It hasn't been anything that's caused us to dig deep into our roots and start taking moral stands. It's just kind of been a, an unfortunate trend that is kind of fun to think about and excuse our lack of growth. But in truth, real exile can come, and real exile is not a pretty thing. The truth is that since TV shows and movies don't represent Christian values, there can actually be a real-world consequence to that, and something can be looming right around the corner that is going to be very unpleasant. And we, in this moment now, we have to make the decision to find a backbone and start taking stands. And what I mean when I say this is that the church needs to drop this morally neutral tone that we often grasp and take a stand. The great doomsday event that happened that was the Babylonian exile, which we'll get to here in a little bit, it didn't just come out of nowhere. And in fact, when you look throughout the 20th century, you see things like Nazi Germany, you see Stalin and Lenin there in Russia, you see North Korea, China, and other places around the globe. These things, they don't just happen in a vacuum. It happens when a world is spiritually corrupt and people don't have a backbone to stand up for what is good in the midst of a world that is suffering. The people of God need to have conviction, and we need to just drop this morally neutral tone that just bugs me up a wall. Now, for those who have been around for a while, you know I like speaking. You know, I want us to speak and think clearly, and thinking clearly 
is good when we're able to speak clearly those things that kind of are related to one another. But at the same time, we don't need to adopt this sanitized, politically correct mentality that you find people on the news talking with, where everything sounds so clear and they'll tell you with a straight face that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. And it gets old after a while because it is dishonest. This whole idea that you can speak in a way that is neutral and that somehow makes you wise and prudent because you're the moderate person. A lot of evil things have been carried out with people who speak in that morally neutral tone. And the truth is that when the people of God really went into the Babylonian exile, which we'll get to in a minute, it didn't just happen out of a vacuum. The people, they did not believe the prophets who told them that their lack of spiritual backbone would have real world consequences. Instead, they convinced themselves that Israel, it wasn't just a spiritual body, but it was also a nation and it had its administrative and business needs that had to be attended to at the world stage. But the truth is, is that once they forgot that Israel was a spiritual being, it collapsed. Once they forgot the truth, of, of who they were called to be, that God said, this will be my people, they will be a blessing to all the other nations. Once they forgot that, they collapsed. Those who romanticize the idea of being an outcast or an exile, they leave out one big truth of the exile. And that is that God sent a generation of his people to die in the wilderness because his people were so morally bankrupt that they were unable to see the world in any other way than what they thought was acceptable. All the moral tones out there that speak clearly and they use the politically correct language, they told them everything was going to be away, but they were ill-equipped to actually handle the truth of where the world was at. And God sent a people out into the wilderness. And it wasn't that he said, well, the older ones who won't listen to the younger ones, they're going to be sent out to die. No, the only people that would make it would be those who weren't even born yet. You find this in Exodus. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. You find this again when the people spend a long time in exile. A long time. God saw that an entire generation of his people needed to die off so that a more faithful generation who wasn't even born yet could rise up and bless the world. Now, this is not a nice truth, and it doesn't give us warm tingles inside, but my job is not to decide what is nice and what gives us warm fuzzies. My job is to teach the truth and wisdom revealed by God. Sometimes there is no antidote to a society that thinks they have all the answers because they have the right pedigree and they're of the right wisdom, and they've done this before, and they know that they can hold this together. Some, sometimes those are just going to have to be sent out into the wilderness and die. And that's a very sad thing. It's tragic because they were, you look throughout the Bible, they're given an opportunity to repent, but a lot of times they think they're, they're too good to repent. And it's very, very sad. And again, I don't want anybody listening to this to get a haughty attitude. None of us are better than anyone else. We all need to turn to God. We need to have that wisdom. But the truth about humanity is that each generation has a hard time believing that the world can change and that their way of life can come to an end. Thus, we tend to like experts who comfort us and they talk like we have on the local news stations or maybe the cable news stations, but they talk in that morally neutral tone. We're just objective journalists and they want to ju just justify things to suit a narrative. And they're not actually being honest about the world. It's a lie. If you have a morally neutral tone, you're not being honest about the world. And the reason why this is, is that it is a lie to talk constantly about the world in a morally neutral tone is because the world is not morally neutral. Therefore, it is a lie to use a morally neutral tone. <laughs> and, and that's just something which is true. It's a lie in the same way that the coexist bumper stickers are a lie. And they're a lie in the same way that having like fiery ice is a lie because you can't have fire and ice at the same time. You either have ice or fire. One is going to put out the other. It, it's just a question of which one is more. With the coexist sponsor stickers, you know, if there's Christians and Muslims, there, there can only be one truth. If everybody's coexisting, then they're all being nothing because there is no truth. 
So most of human history has been lived out under tyrants with great suffering, and that's just a tragedy that is how the world actually is. We haven't had great freedoms and great luxuries throughout most of human history. That's just the truth of it. And this is because we are all born as sinners, and we can only be freed from our immovable sin problem through Christ. Each and every one of us, if you're a son of Adam, a daughter of Eve, you've been born with an immovable sin problem. It may be different from person to person, but you all have an immovable sin problem. I do too. We all do. We can't handle it by ourselves. It takes the power of Christ to get past it. And because that is just how the world is, Christ-likeness is quite rare. Moreover, such people are far less likely to to be people in power, people who are Christ-like. And the reason why this is, is because if you're living Christ-like, you know that you are living not for yourself, but for others. And, And even for the sake of God, you're not just being a slave to anybody who would come and do that. That also makes you just a a tool for a tyrant. But the truth of is is that people who aren't living Christ-like, where they do just pursue their own ends, they are much more likely to pursue power. They're much likely to pursue something like government. It's just the fundamental nature of it. So in the first James Bond film, wrong button, Dr. No, if you haven't seen Dr. No, it's very different than all the other James Bond films, and it's the one that kind of starts the series off. It's a really, really fun film. Um, but Dr. No, he's the villain in the first movie, and he's also the character who the movie's named after. Dr. No, he makes a statement in the climax of the film to James Bond that the criminal mind is always superior. So Dr. No, the guy you see here in the picture, he says the criminal mind is always superior. And the thing is, he's actually right. I mean, it kind of depends on how you define superior, but what he's saying is true. And it has nothing to do with whether or not the criminal is more intelligent, whether he has you know, greater resources or anything like that. It simply boils down to the fact that those who live in sin, the, the criminal, and we all are sinners by birth, those who are criminal, those who are in sin, they're not restrained by a Christian conscience. They're not restrained by laws. They're not restrained by, well, restraint. They do whatever they want. They need to kill somebody that's in their way, fine, so be it. If they need to lie, steal, cheat, whoever, who cares? By hook or by crook, they get their way. Therefore, they are going to achieve a lot more than those who are righteous. And this is why sin is always going to have a superior angle to seize power in a world of fallen creation. But see, that's the thing, is there's a lot more to life than just fallen creation. And as Christians, we need to have a biblical worldview that can examine all of these things and understand that we have the eternal victory. And we are charged to endure the here and now of fallen creation with clear eyes that see the world. God didn't just come to wipe out fallen creation. He gave us an opportunity for redemption. Now, while we have the great victory overall, we still have to be standing up to sin in the here and now. And so this morally neutral tone, it's just not equipped. They, d- they don't think that something bad could happen. And we're going to get to the ba- Babylonian exile here in a moment. But the problem with it is it can't say no. It can't believe that something could actually come to change. That your way of life could end. So we, we ask the church, we must be honest about creation, and that, that means that we do not operate in the morally neutral tone that you find on a local news channel. It's a lie to think that the world is morally neutral, and we must not pretend that it is. Everything has a spiritual element to it, and anytime you say, well, we're just doing the business side of the church or the administrative, anytime you forget that all of those are spiritual matters, we have made a mistake. And, and everyone that, that I mean, I've fallen into this before. We have to wake up and step away from that and say, no, everything we do is a spiritual matter. There's this great wisdom in that. So to that point, right now we're in the middle of the coronavirus shutdown, and there are two things happening at once. In one hand, we have churches taking what amounts to a bailout money, just bailout monies from the government, 
to keep their model of church afloat. And they're assuring people that there will be no bad consequences. While literally at the same time, in the other hand, we have the governor in Kentucky making threats against churches and police out not wearing masks, telling people they should be quarantined, writing down license plates, saying we're going to send a health department to quarantine you. That's a threat. What happened in Kentucky on Easter is a threat where the governor threatened churches. That is a threat, and that is a threat. Do not act like that is not a threat. That's just the government being nice. That is wicked, evil, pits of hell, evil. The demons in hell are laughing at that. Same thing happened in Mississippi where the government stepped in, the pits of hell laughing at that too. The pastor in Mississippi being told by police his constitutional rights are suspended and they took him down. You know, there's been pastors arrested in Florida and so forth and so on. This is evil. It is wicked. And if you think that government money to help bail out the churches because that model needs government money, evidently we don't have an imagination to think of how we might come with finances and perhaps our classes on financial stewardship weren't as serious and credible as we thought they were when a crisis happens and we're immediately looking for that. I say all of this not to think I'm better than others, but because I want us to wake up, pop the bubble. I understand times are difficult, tides are down, but where is our imagination? If all we can do is think government is the solution, the same government that doesn't care about life, that doesn't care when, when children are killed, the same government that doesn't care that when people cross our southern border, the overwhelming majority of women are sexually abused, and even a large portion of the men are, if they think that's okay, these people do not have a credibility. So there are, also exist in the church this problem where everything we do sends a spiritual message. If we think that a government check is our, our way of meeting finances, then we're sending a message that says that God is not our redeemer and God does not provide. But there exists within the church a group of people who think socialism is biblical because the early Christians held things together in common. However, every time I read through the book of Acts, I find that people are holding things in common because of personal conviction. I've never read it and found a government involved, whether it be a big or small government. I've never found a government involved there in Acts. You look in those early chapters, I've read them, read them. Never is Rome involved. Never is even an Israelite government involved. You know, never is a government involved. None. People doing things voluntarily and there's personal conviction. And guess what? People aren't viewed as groups. They're actually viewed as individuals. If you personally mess up and an IS5, bad things happen to you. The demons in hell laugh when Christians claim socialism, which is a definitive agent of death, is biblical. So the calm voices in the church that are speaking in these morally neutral tones saying nothing spiritually bad can happen, no need to wake up. The reason why I'm speaking on this right now is this is ill-equipped to handle the problem that we're against. I'm not better than anyone, and I don't think I have some special wisdom. I have no special insight. I'm just a young guy called to ministry in a church where we can't live in a bubble and we can't live beyond our means. So it's kind of forced me to keep my eyes open a little bit. I'm simply trusting the wisdom of Scripture to be true and that history's wisdom revealed to us by God is also true. That's it. I'm merely looking at the ingredients and seeing what is being made. If I see burgers, buns, hot dogs, it looks like somebody's going to have a nice grilling out party. When the recipe we're in right now looks like it does, it looks like a recipe for tyranny is being cooked, where wickedness is going to grab mass amounts of power. So on all of this, um, we are going to get to the Babylonian exile. And for the next few Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking at the Babylonian exile. I'm just kind of doing a little bit of a precursor thing beforehand. Well, it's just necessary to give commentary on the world where we're at right now. But I realize that that one of the reasons why the church has adopted this morally neutral stand, and again, what I mean when I'm saying that is they sound like somebody on the news where everything's soft, nothing's offensive, we're using the sanitized, clean language. 
One of the reasons that we've done this is because we feel as if the church should not be political, and that's true. But at the same time, the church can't act like there's nothing in the world that has real-world effects and that politics is just a, a play thing which no real-world consequences. And our, our unfortunate tragedy is that we've made a few mistakes in responding to the, how the church relates to politics. Some have thought that being apolitical meant adopting a mentality that's morally neutral, where they took an attitude where they never stood for anything and just avoided serious conversation about culture because they pretended nothing has real-world consequences, so why talk about it? It's really unfortunate. It's not true. Things have real-world consequences. We need to talk about it, even if it makes people not like us. Um, and the other mentality in the church, they this is the mentality you'll find at a university and other places where intellectual elite social groups, they come, they live in their bubble. Um, they took a mentality where they say we're not being political, but they really are. They're being backdoor political, and it's always to one side. And the great irony is they always take risks when it lines up with what the culture is doing, you know, when it lines up with the sexual ethics of Hollywood um, and mainstream secularism. It's pretty obvious to everyone looking at them that these people are being political, even though they say they're not. And on that note, whenever you hear someone saying not to be political, but, you know, that's a, a moment, that's a marker that says they're actually being political. and they're probably sounded fooling, foolish too. So with that being said, I'm going to have some self-awareness and tell you I'm about to say something political. The government is not God and it's not the church. It's motivated by something different than the church. The church and government are not motivated by the same thing. And history tells us that government's motives, they rarely are pure because the people working in them don't have the ability to rise beyond their belief system because no one can rise beyond their belief system. No one. And if people don't have a good belief system, the stuff they're working in isn't going to be better than them. Now, that being said, um, in America, now I'm going to say something that I'll actually get people probably offended and not happy with me because I'm going to say something that actually stings, but I said there was almost too neutral. Um, can't be be talking against that and not do it myself. All right, so in America, and this is where the sting is going to happen, in America, we have one political party that is increasingly hostile out in the open to Christianity and the church. And the alternative political party doesn't actually want a relationship with Christians that amounts to anything of substance. At best, they want a relationship with the church that's a one-night stand. And the best thing you can hope for with them is a booty call where nothing greater than that will ever be emerging. Nothing that'll stand up for anything. And what it means when I say that is that it's all trash. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're either lying to you or they live in a bubble that prevents them from seeing the world honestly. Either way, pray for them, pray for the whole system, because it's, it's all garbage. It's all a sham. It's all a sham. And there's really not a lot of difference between the, the parties aside from what they say and their demeanor and stuff like that. But when you, you look at stuff that's going on, it kind of all goes in one direction. So anybody who tells you otherwise, either they're being dishonest with you on purpose or they just live in a bubble and don't, don't see it. So it's very unfortunate, very unfortunate. And again, we're not better than those who make these mistakes or live this way, but we just pray that they'll open their eyes, that they'll turn to the gospel. And for those in the church who have kind of taken this tone, I pray they'll open their eyes. A lot of these people have larger audiences than I do, and they're much better speakers. And so please pray that true wisdom will be revealed to us and that everybody will have the conviction of God in the church. All right, so let's change gears. Let's talk about the exile, because this is where the interesting history comes on and that we, we start to see parallels between history and our world today. After that long dialogue with you, I hope if anyone is still here watching, let's talk about the Babylonian exile. Let me open up by saying, what is the Babylonian exile? And what was the atmosphere that led up to it? Who is King Nebuchadnezzar and why did people not see this big bad doomsday coming? 
So for the coming Wednesday night studies, we're going to be looking into this. And let's just begin by talking about what it actually was. So Christ Jesus, he was born of Mary about 2,000 years ago. And while he was born a Jew and he was born in Bethlehem, it's important to know that Bethlehem, Israel, they're no longer really Israel the nation or even Judah the nation. They're not the people of God as a nation physically and geographically. And that's because the physical land belonged to Rome when Jesus was born of Mary. And you might ask, well, why did it belong to Rome? And what does that have to do with the Babylonian exile? That's Babylon, Rome. What do all these things have to do with each other? Well, the truth is, is that for about 600 years, the land had changed hands from time to time. Again, as different people conquered and subjugated the Jewish people. When Jesus was born of Mary, the Jewish people had not really been free for about 600 years. And now I understand that whenever we're talking about years longer than our lifespan, look, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 30. So when I think of like 300 years, you know, that's something that seems unfathomable. But nonetheless, we're, we try to be wise, prudent, look at history and say, it's got to be bigger than me. 600 years is a long time. And when Jesus was born, people were really hungry for a Messiah because they had spent 600 years living under different forms of tyranny. They had had good times and they had had some bad times, but it was generally just being a subjugated people to whatever power there was. So... They had been living in a doomsday post-apocalyptic exile for about 600 years. And going back in time to that point, which is about 600 years before Jesus, about 2,600 years before we are today, that is where we find this big doomsday event. And again, doomsday events happen. Anybody's telling you that they can't happen, they're lying to you, they happen. They happen in Nazi Germany. They happen in Russia. They happen in a lot of places in Europe, actually. They happen a lot of places in Asia. They've happened in a lot of places throughout the world. It's been a very tragic thing, but that's the course of human history. The people of God, they've been living in a post-apocalyptic doomsday for like 600 years when Jesus is born. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is the one who conquered them and destroyed and stole everything they owned, leveled all their buildings, put them in a terrible place. So we're going to go now to Daniel chapter 1 and take a quick look at some scripture. And learn a little bit about this horrible calamity. So Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought into the land of Shinar and placed in the vessels, placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. And his is Nebuchadnezzar there. So in these very few brief verses, we got a lot of terrible events. The king of God's people fell to one of history's most savage conquerors. The vessels of the house of God, which include the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments, their holy and sacred things, they were placed in a treasury of fake gods. And it was meant to be degrading and humiliating and insulting. And guess what? All the people of God were degraded, humiliated, and insulted in this moment. It's very bad, very tragic, but it is nonetheless the, the truth of history. So all of these people, they were carried off to Babylon. And Babylon's a long way away from Judah or Israel. And you see this language of the land of Shinar. Now, many of us today, we may have heard of Judah or Israel, but we probably haven't heard of Shinar. But that's okay. The people of God then, they had never heard of Shinar either. Probably wasn't on their radar. But they would learn that name and it would become synonymous with hell for them. Now, this was truly an awful event. The people of God who had lived as a nation for well over, you know, 500 years at this point, it's been about 500 years since King David when Nebuchadnezzar comes, their way of life was over. 
Nebuchadnezzar was the great villain who did all of this, and he is fully responsible for his actions. But in light of our conversation and where we're at today, we have to ask the question, was more to it than just Nebuchadnezzar happened? Did this happen out of nowhere, or did something tee up Israel like this for a doomsday, where any child who's learning to play baseball, they can go up and get the tee, play a little bit of tee ball, because they're learning. It's new. Easy. The answer is yes. Something did set Israel up for a doomsday event, something that allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come. And although a lot of people may not want to acknowledge it, spiritual bankruptcy is really the responsible agent here. It's the responsible fact. Rather than being led by kings who understood the spiritual nature of Israel, they had been led by people who saw it as a nation. Those who like to make decisions that say, well, this is just a nation. There's no spiritual element here. Now, what's fascinating about this is the same thing happens in the church today. We have people who look at the church and life in the church and they say, well, the church, we have our business sides. We do our real estate transactions like you do any other real estate. And they, they fail to see that the church is supposed to be unique and set apart. And that actually means unique and set apart in every way. Um, because there are actually real-world bad consequences when you start treating the church just like a business. And, and again, most of the people who make these statements, they know that, and they're capable of rising above that, but we need that rising above to prevail right now and not just the it's another real estate transaction. It's just another way for us to help through this moment to take checks from the government to, to help bail us out. Um, we need a better voice to prevail because... To understand what brought about the doomsday with the Babylonian exile and what opened the door for Nebuchadnezzar, we need to talk about Israel's king, or Judah's king. And although the name Jehoiakim is found in that scripture I read from Daniel 1, he's not the man I want us to talk about, and nor is he the man that I would consider the last great king of Israel. And that would go to King Josiah, who you may know of as the the boy king. Now, Josiah, he came to the throne at a very young age. In fact, he did great things that have affected you today. If you're out there listening to this right now, there's a chance there's a Bible in your house, if not in the same room with you right now. And if you open up your Bible, you look in the Old Testament, you're going to find that Josiah is pretty relevant to you. His name may not be on a book anywhere, but guess what? The books that are in the Old Testament probably wouldn't be there like they are now if it wasn't for King Josiah. He found some old scrolls and he said, we need to have a revival. And he is a very significant figure in having our Old Testament be structured like it is today. So Josiah has affected you and your life, even if you didn't realize it. But the sad truth is that Josiah was too late. The boy king who wanted to lead a revival, he he came after generation and generation of leaders who thought Israel was a nation rather than a spiritual instrument of God. Or I should say of Judah, because technically it's Judah there, but we're not getting into those weeds right now. So all the leaders, the experts, and even the priests, they were more interested in looking at the world with morally neutral tones like a newscaster than they were with being honest. Now, I'm not saying we should be charismatic because that can get fake too, but they just didn't want to be honest about the world. They wanted to say, oh, we're just another nation. We've got to deal with the, the business side of things and whatnot. They didn't think that there could be real world consequences from just doing the neutral things of the world, which aren't actually neutral. Just a little, little heads up there. Everything's a spiritual matter. And when we look throughout the history of the people of God, um, leading up to this Babylonian exile, we find that a lot of times priests have done things they shouldn't do. Aaron, who's really the first priest, he made the golden calf, and he did that when they came out of Egypt. The priesthood doesn't have a good record. They sat by when people sacrificed their children to Moloch. They put up Asherah poles and worshipped Baal. 
There are a lot of preachers that we have in our world right now who will take a moral stand when kind of tamping down the zealots in their own congregations or within their own denominations, but not a lot who will stand up to the world around us. And that's a really sad thing. And generally when people stand up, we're told to sit down because those from the big places of pedigree with superior wisdom, they'll handle it. They're experts. They've done it for a while. But history tells us those people with big places and pedigree and superior wisdom, they're not equipped. They're not equipped to, to stop the doomsday from coming like they told you they were. Um, your way of life can change. You can be hauled off to Babylon, and that can happen today. So when we look to the Old Testament, it's interesting that this group of people of superior pedigree, the priesthood, that's not where God tends to call his prophets. It's just an interesting to think about. God doesn't really call his, his prophets from those morally neutral tones that don't take a stand, that don't have a backbone. But King Josiah, he bucked the system. He led a revival and understood that the nature of the people of God was to be spiritual and that their kingdom was spiritual. But the sad truth is that he came too late. Years of moral bankruptcy, which could not be better illustrated than with people sacrificing their own children. And I've got a picture here for you. There you've got people sacrificing their children to Moloch there. You see a guy, he's standing up there. He's got a baby handing it over to this kind of bullheaded idol. Um, and they kill the baby, by the way. It's, it's not just a make picture with Santa Claus. It's pretty wicked. And that's pretty much sums up what led to the spiritual decline in a nutshell. People always talk about Baal because it's kind of easy to. Nobody wants to talk about Moloch. But I think Moloch is pretty much the truth of it all. They've been doing this for a long time. And the sad thing is, is that people throughout history, they've killed their children, believing it would give them an advantage in their lives. You see it today with abortion, obviously. Abortion, the sacrifice of Moloch, it's like the exact same thing. However, at least the people in the past were honest about the spiritual nature of it, saying that it was done spiritually, where people now, they just say, oh, this is, I couldn't have advanced my career without killing my child. The right to choose, right to kill your baby to Moloch. It's not evil. It's not wicked. You know, how, how depraved is it to say that from a Christian worldview that teaches us that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for another? We have people in the church that are okay with this. Sad. So sad. It's wicked. Evil. All right, so this is what set Israel up to fall. People throughout history, they have always thought they were special, that they would not be the ones that would fall. And over here, we've got a, a picture of the Israelites being carried away. You see this painting here. It might look like a beautiful painting to you, but it's tragic. Those people, they're walking away from a burning city. It can happen, and it will happen. The boy king, he was virtuous, but it was he who led the revival, not the priest that's putting the crown on him there in that picture. The priests, they laid down on their job. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were more like Dr. No, who said the criminal mind will always win. The mind that says we'll deal with the world on the world terms. We'll do our church transactions like a business, like any other real estate sale, like any other bank loan. Those voices, they were not the ones that started the revival in Josiah's day. And even by the time someone like um, a King Josiah comes, it's too late. It's sad. So one of the reasons why it, these things happen is because people don't believe that a, a bad villain can arise in the world. When you go back to the story of the Exodus, it opens up by saying there arose over Egypt a Pharaoh who knew not the good deeds of Joseph. There's always going to be a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph that rises up. With the story of Josiah, there was literally a Pharaoh who rose up over Egypt, but his name wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't Ramses. That's probably not the, the I don't know. We're not going to get into that. His name was Necho II. 
Necho II is the one who killed King Josiah, not Nebuchadnezzar. And this is really important for us because I'm going to be comparing what happens in the Babylon exile to where we're at now. Necho II really is the coronavirus of the Babylonian exile. He's not the big problem that anybody remembered, but he is the one who killed their king. And I mean, he subjugated the people of God too. He subjugated the Jews. So, I mean, what he did was pretty wicked, pretty bad, but he wasn't the big, the big problem. That would late come, just a few years later. Josiah was killed in the year 609. In the year 605, Nebuchadnezzar comes. Just four years different, three or four years. Um, three or four years. I can do my hand for the camera. And this is our lesson for the day. Wicked people will take advantage of an already bad situation. And if we are not spiritually healthy, bad things will happen. People never believe it can happen before the fact, but evil people rise to take advantage of events like the coronavirus. It was bad when Necho II, who probably none of us have ever heard of, no one's ever heard of Necho II, but he's the one who killed and subjugated Israel or Judah for the first time. But it was Nebuchadnezzar who came and took things to a level of wickedness that people could have never imagined. So, whenever we have something like the coronavirus come, there's always a possible, and history tells us this is a very high probable thing, that some evil will manifest to take advantage of this. And we have to wake up and realize it. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that it takes revival to hold back sin. I'm looking at the formula going around in our culture right now. I'm looking at the recipe. I'm looking at liberties being taken away, and I'm looking at people willingly giving them up. I'm looking at people willingly wanting to turn in their neighbors, looking at governors wanting to t threaten churches not just tell them or ask them, threaten churches. What happened in Kentucky was a threat. What happened in Mississippi was a threat. Don't kid yourself. It's meant to coerce and scare people. Necho II, the one who king, killed King Josiah, whom we've never heard of, he was not the big problem, even though he was a real problem. He killed the king. He subjugated the people. And he's like the coronavirus. And the truth is, is that when you're in the moment, Necho II seems like the worst thing you could ever imagine. But maybe it's three years down the road, maybe it's three weeks, maybe it's, you know, who knows how far it is down the road. But there will always come a bigger problem. And that bigger problem was Nebuchadnezzar. And when we look at history, most of us have heard the name Nebuchadnezzar before, even though we've probably never heard of um, Necho. Maybe haven't heard of Josiah either, but we've heard of Nebuchadnezzar. When history looks back at this, it'll be a lot easier to see clearly. But while we're in this moment, it's so easy to be fooled and not listen to the wisdom of history, not believe that bad things can happen. So that's our lesson for today. Bad things can happen. Doomsdays can be real. God has told us that the antidote to that is to have spiritual revival and live as a spiritual people and make decisions as spiritual people. But for some reason, we don't want to do that. We don't want to think that there can be real consequences to actions which don't line up with biblical wisdom. The doomsday event that came to the people of God during the middle of a different tragedy became the big tragedy it was sad that the people had lied to themselves that Israel, Judah, they were nations that didn't have a spiritual arm or a spiritual purpose or an explicitly spiritual nature. And they didn't have the revival that God wanted for them. There had been prophets, there had been warnings, but people didn't pick up on it. They didn't see the ingredients brewing in the world. They didn't notice that the witch was throwing the frog in there and that you were in a cage sitting next to there and she was putting some salt on you, getting ready to cook and eat you too. They didn't realize that she was actually going to cook and eat you. We have to be wise. 
So we're going to pick up here next week. We're going to talk more about um, Nebuchadnezzar and actually those early moments there in the book of Daniel. So I hope you enjoyed this. Again, I'm not here to beat up on people. I want us to just wake up and be the people we're meant to be. Sometimes it stings to hear the, the truth, but we as the people of God, we need to be righteous. We need to be leaders in this. We need to have a vivid imagination. So I know I've run a little bit long, and I thank you all for bearing with me. With our changes and things, um, I have lost some of the, the staff who have worked here. So I've got a different computer, different sound system running stuff. So I don't know how the audio is. I, I thank you if you've held on this long. And I'm going to have a closing prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. Ask that wherever we are, whether here in the studio, in our homes, in our, our cars, that you would come, open our hearts and minds, give us strength, wisdom, encouragement. Bless each and every one of us. Give us the revival that we need. Let us be the people whom you have called us. And I ask all of this through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.